We're continuing on this uh, series that we've been on, our 2024 vision series, and we, uh, I named this series That They May Worship, and we've been trying to centralize this mindset, this idea that as a new merged community, let's go back to seeing how God called his people together and what was the priority in this calling. And what we see the priority that God plays over and above everything else is he called them out that they may worship. And he says, in this worship, in this worshiping community, he says, your identity would be made. And not only will your identity be made, it's in that place of worship that we receive a new revelation of who God is, a new revelation of how God is leading us. And so this is why worship becomes so important to us. It's not just a Sunday routine that we do. It's not just because of a habit or our religious obligations. We do this because the benefit as well that comes from that, not only is God worthy of our worship, but the benefit that comes out of that is that we get a fresh revelation again of who God is and a fresh revelation of his vision for our life, of the way that he wants to lead us. So today we're wrapping up uh, this mini-series on our vision and this worship that they may worship. And I want to begin um, to kind of add a little bit of context to what I'll be talking about today. These, what, it, what does it mean to have certain identity markers that God wanted his people to have, his covenant people to have, that everyone that saw the people of God there will be a commonality of these are the identity markers that really marks what the people of God are all about. And so I want to set that up by sharing like a, a, a short a kind of story that, uh, that I went through long time ago. And it actually involves one of our people here, but he's not here today, so I can talk about him. And uh, hopefully he doesn't get too embarrassed, but John Cho. So 20 years ago, back in, it was literally 20 years ago, back in March of 2004, so 2004, um, I took our youth group to Vision X, and as I went to Vision X, that's where I met John for one of the first times. So we started to get to know each other, we're doing a joint youth stuff together, and I really got to know him as a pastor through these Vision X um, interactions. And so in, 2020, in 2004, I took my, uh, my youth there, and I remember there's this one night, I think it was on the second night, we were all worshiping, and the speaker, he began to direct the worship towards repentance. Uh, the speaker began to say, it just seems that in this room, that some of us feel this block in our relationship with God. There seems to be this obstacle, this ceiling that we can't get through. And so even though we are singing these songs, even though we are engaging, it feels like something is missing. It feels like we're not connecting. And he called us towards repentance. He goes, I want you guys to consider repentance. And he, and he did this altar card saying, you know, brothers and sisters, come up. Come up and repent and lay these things down. Be free from whatever burdens you're holding on to, whatever fears that you feel that you might have in your life. And so he gave this call. Five minutes went by, and I began praying over our youth, hoping that our youth would really receive that call and go up. But no one was going up. And so I kept praying for our youth, thinking, that's my job. I need to pray. But then suddenly, 
I started to get this feeling. And the feeling that began to form in my heart was maybe I'm the one that actually needs to go to the front and repent. And this feeling that I had, it just, this conviction, it began to get stronger and stronger and stronger to the point where I began to wrestle. So I stopped praying for our youth and I was spending more time just wrestling with my own heart saying, oh my goodness, is this really what God has come to go to the front? But I can't. I know I had just been with this youth for a year. You know, I'm fresh out of seminary. And, you know, the kind of, what kind of image would that portray? I don't want them to think that, ooh, our pastor has some dark secret, right, that he's doing. And and I was so fearful of what their reaction would be to their new youth pastor that I was just sitting there just wrestling with, I think I need to go and I think I know what the... why the Spirit is calling me towards repentance, but I just couldn't muster the courage because of my fear. And so as I was wrestling through this, out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone coming up the main aisle. And I thought it was a student, but it wasn't. It was actually John. So John was leading his own youth at that point too, but he was the first one. He was standing way at the back, and he just started walking towards the front, took off his hat and began to wave it, right, towards the speaker and says, I need to repent. And when I saw that, I felt so convicted in my heart. That was, at that moment, I said, wow, how can he, in front of everyone else, have that kind of audacity and that courage to just go up and to just say, yes, I need to repent. And for the remainder of the time, because he initiated that kind of like movement forward. All these youth started to stand up and began to go to have that time with God, to repent and to find what it is that's blocking their heart from really drawing closer to God. What I did at that moment is I just sat back down in my seat and in my seat, I began to repent. And my repentance was about my self-righteousness. I asked God, why am I so self-righteous that the primary fear when I have this opportunity to draw close to you, all I'm thinking about is what's other people going to say? How are other people going to judge me? And because of this, I kept saying, asking God, God, is this why I feel this distance at times with you is because I will never cross that line because I want to hold on to my self-righteousness. You know, during Jesus' time, there were other self-righteous religious leaders that represented a little bit of what kind of character I had in my early days of ministry. These self-righteous leaders, they didn't see themselves as sinful. They didn't see themselves as there's something wrong with their life. They actually believed themselves to be in the right relationship with God. And these uh, these self-righteous leaders, they came to Jesus to ask him a question. And the question was this, we want to see if you're aligned with us. We want to see if you see the same thing that we see about God because we know we are in the right. And what they asked Jesus was this. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40, they said, tell us, teacher, what is the greatest commandment that God has for us? 
And Jesus replied by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, brothers and sisters, what Jesus was giving to the religious leaders and the disciples and all the crowds of people that were gathered in that space, what he was saying to them is, here are the two identity markers, what defines what a follower of God looks like. Not because they agree to it, it's because this is how they are living. He says the two identity markers is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And then the second, he says, is connected, is like it, and it's inseparable from it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. See, just as I learned 20 years ago about humility based on my own self-righteousness and learning that my self-righteousness and my arrogance or my pride, it was the block that kept me from living in and to these identity markers. Because no matter how right I thought I was living my life, this loving God with all of my heart was limited. This loving my neighbor out of that love of God was limited. Because I was limited by my self-righteousness. The first point that I want to make today is loving God provides the trust and courage to claim his promises. When Jesus told his disciples and the Pharisees, teachers of the law, the Sadducees, and the crowd, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Jesus was saying this not only as our response to who God is, but also letting people know the reason why when you do this is so good is that there's fruit that comes out of that as well. And part of the fruit that comes out of loving God with all your heart, soul, and your mind is this. It begins to provide the trust in that relational love that you have with God and that true love that you have with God. It provides the trust and courage to be able to see and to claim the promises that God has for our life. You know, at times we hear about these promises in the Bible, but it feels like a distant, it happened for them, but it won't happen for us. And part of the problem sometimes is because we don't know how to love. We're limited in our love. As you know, it was at Mount Sinai that God provided these Ten Commandments that Jesus summarized into two commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments was all about loving God with all your soul, your heart, and your mind, and your strength. Where he says, no idols before me. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Make sure they keep the Sabbath. The first four is all about loving God with all of our heart, soul, and our mind. And then the last six of the commandments is all about learning how to love your neighbor. So don't do this to your neighbor. Don't do this to your neighbor. You see, God was focused as a gathering people when they came out of Egypt and into Sinai in the desert to worship. God was focused on the formation of his people in worship. As they were worshiping, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself because this will be your identity marker that makes you my people, that makes you my nation as you go into the promised land that I'm leading you in. 
You see, brothers and sisters, through worship, God would reveal where they needed to go, who they needed to be. And loving God is what would give them the courage and the trust to be able to get there. So let's look at what was happening during that time. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 29 to 33. So Moses is wrapping up their whole journey, 40 years that they were in the desert. They had a chance to go into the promised land after the 11-day travel from Mount Sinai to uh, Kadesh Barnea, right at the limit of the promised land, but the people, they sent out spies, and they felt like, no, the people are too big. No, we'll never survive. Why would God make us do this? And so they resisted, and after 11 days, it ended up, they spent the next 40 years, when they could have claimed the promise at that point, they spent the next 40 years of their life wandering. And so as they were reflecting on this past, this is what Moses says to them in verse 29 to 30. Then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. You see, Moses, as they are on this, on this limit, as they're looking into this promised land, Moses is reminding the people, this is the promise that God had for you 40 years ago, and it's still open to you today. This is the promise that God wants to give to you. But he recognizes that the reason why they couldn't claim that promise was because of their fears, was because of their own self-knowledge of, I don't think I can beat them, or I don't think I can do what God is calling me to do. And Moses is telling them, don't allow your fears, don't allow how you view yourself to keep you from claiming this promise. God loves you, and the way that he has gone before you, he will continue to go before you. And the only way that we can have the trust and the courage to follow is to really grapple with God and say, I love you, God. And the more we spend time with him, we begin to see that he is faithful, and we can trust him more and more. You see, our first identity marker as God's people must be our utter love of God. When Jesus says, with all of your soul, mind, strength, he means that. The first identity marker that we're called to in order for us to really follow God and to experience all the goodness that he has for our life is in our life, are we doing our best to clear whatever obstacles so that we can love him with all of ourselves? See, without that kind of love, we are not convinced that we can or God is faithful in giving us the promises he wants us to have. This command is for our benefit as well. He wants us to experience the goodness of his promise. 
Look at what the passage says. So as we seek him and God reveals the way that we should go, look at this love of God. The reason why our love of God is so important is because of these four things. He says, when you have this love of God, it helps you overcome your fears. The unknown challenges that we see in verse 29. He says, this is why when we're loving God with all of our heart, we can overcome all of our fears. We trust him. In the moment where I was fearing, what will other people say? And I know that this, uh, this repentance that I need to bring before God, I know that this will break whatever barrier I feel like that's between me and God or why I feel like I can trust him so much. Rather than fearing what other people would think about who I am as a growing pastor, I love God more to overcome those fears. He says, secondly, witness God's fighting for us and going before us. This is the promise that he gives. He goes, you may not be able to see it, but when I call you to come and follow me, I'm not pushing you ahead and I'm behind you. He says, I go before you, and he symbolized that by the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night in the wilderness. He says, this is how I go before you. When I lead you to the next place that you need to go, I will go before you, and I will set the path for you so that you will not bear any temptation or challenge that you are not able to withstand. So these things will not overwhelm. Yes, they'll be challenging, but they will not overwhelm you. God prepares the way before we even go there. The third one, he says, is experiencing God carrying us through as a protected child in verse 31. He says, and did you not see that even during the wilderness period, God did not give up on his people and say, hey, we could have been there in year one, but because of you guys, we're suffering through the wilderness. No, there were times in the wilderness as people rebelled and as people felt like I can't go anymore or when enemies were trying to attack the people as they were vulnerable. Moses says, do you know at those times God carried you as a father carries his child? Through those moments. See, brothers and sisters, it's not just dependent on us. God knows that there are times that we're going to falter. And because we love God and as we keep following him, what we realize is that there are moments in our lives when we falter, that it's not game over, but he lifts us up and he carries us through those moments. And then lastly, when we love God and we trust him, we experience his presence in our lives as God directs us. See, the thing that we long for the most and the thing that Moses kept calling out as Justin shared about Exodus 20 and we look a little bit further on and we see that same hesitation that Moses had. If your presence isn't with us, I don't want to go. The, what I need most on this journey is to know that you are really with me that you are tangibly with me. And Moses' request is, show me your glory. Show me your presence. And God says, my presence goes before you. Just come and follow me. And that's where we experience God in our life. You know, as I began to follow God in my own life, there's so many things that scared me, so many hesitations when I had this invite where God says, okay, now follow me here. As a teen, I was really scared when God made it clear to me. He's saying, you need to grow to know me. 
And in my grade 10-11 year, for whatever reason, God was calling me to be at church four days a week. And as grade 11 was getting more tight because of studies and grade 12, I began to resist because my father was very adamant about increasing my grades so that I could get to the university and eventually the profession that I wanted. There are fights that happened between me and my dad. That scared me. And I felt like if I say to my dad, I'm going to be doing this and I'm going to go to church on these days and it's four days and right now I should be studying more. There was so much fear, like what if I fail? What if God's really not true? What if God doesn't help me through my, my high school life and I don't get into university? What's it gonna do to my life? All those fears began to build in my heart. But despite that, as I tried to entrust my life to God, rather than, because even though my life was busy, rather than my marks dropping, I began to see it rising every turn. It rose without a fail. God carrying me. In university, I was scared that as my parents really wanted me, especially my dad, to go into med school. And then when God called me to surrender med school and go to seminary instead, I had a lot of fear of what it would do towards my relationship with my parents and the kind of aftermath that would bring about. And even though there was a difficult moment that we had, as I shared with my parents, I think God's calling me to seminary, not to med school. God healed that relationship in time. More recently, I was really scared in 2019, even before that, when God called me to plant Encounter. It was a time where, you know, my kids were still in uh, middle school, and, you know, our finances aren't that good. And I'm just trying to wonder, can we financially survive? Am I putting my kids in a really bad spot, especially in a formation period of their identity in their life? Can I trust God at this moment of my life? Do I leave a secured place that I already had at a church and do this church plant when I don't even know how many people will come or what's going to happen or even the end result? Yet I found that even with the church plant and then the pandemic that followed, God sustained us. And then to be really honest, last year when John approached me and said, hey, will we consider this church plant? I was in a place in my own life and my own mindset where I was really overburdened with too many things. I felt I had nothing left in the tank to be able to give to anyone else. I just felt like I'm just waiting for that little needle that will just drop on my life and that just breaks my life fully. And I told John, I really don't have any capacity to even think about that, that I'm barely hanging on with the responsibilities of shepherding um, my own church right now to consider the complexities of a merge. Yet what I witnessed through that period, by just holding to God and trusting in his lead, God's power and presence carrying me and this community forward. Brothers and sisters, we all have these stories. And the more you go through these challenges, 
the more you begin to experience that God's love for you really is real. It doesn't end. These challenges, they keep coming because as you are faithful with a little, he gives you a little bit more. See, the more that I began to live in these trenches with God, the more I learned I can love God with all my heart, soul, and strength. And whenever things got worrisome or more fearful, I would try to love God even more, saying, God, teach me to love you even more. See, brothers and sisters, this must be the first identity marker of any follower of Jesus Christ. The second is like it. It's loving others. And this loving others as our second um, reflection marker, it's supposed to reflect our relationship with God. You see, it's not a separate command. It's because we are doing the first automatically or it's instinct or it's part of the fruitfulness that comes out of loving God and receiving his love in return that we just can't help. It becomes part of our disposition to love others because it becomes a reflection of the kind of love that we are receiving from God. You know, one of the things that Jesus could not stand about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law was their inability to connect their, their version of loving God with what they should have done in learning how to love the people who are around them. When offering the two greatest commandments, Jesus essentially indicates that they are inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. This is part of the reason when Moses, why Moses got so upset as they were about to enter the promised land and they're rallying their people together and they're saying, okay, we're about to go in and we're about to claim this land. Look at what happens in Numbers 32, verse 4 to 7. The land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Moses said to the Gadites and the Reubenites, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over to the land the Lord has given them? You see, the Reubenites and the Gaddis, they had a lot of livestock, and before they crossed over the Jordan, they said, wow, the land here that is east of the Jordan, we want this land instead, and we want to stay here. And so is it possible that you guys, with the rest of the ten tribes, you guys cross over and get your land, but we got our land and we're happy? And Moses gets so upset. Because he's saying, what did you learn at Sinai? What did you learn during these 40 years? Did God not fight for you? Did you not see this character of God in your life of the reason why you have this land is because God loved you. He went before you even when he didn't need to. Because he loves you, he cares for you, and he fought for you. So that you could have this. Now after experiencing that, how is it possible for the people of God not to be impacted by that love that you have received and want to do the same for your other fellow Israelites? You know, the amazing part of the story is even after this rebuke that he gave to the Gadites and Reubenites, look at how they responded to Moses. They came back in Numbers chapter 32, verse 16 to 18 by saying this. Then they came back to him and said, We would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children. But we will arm ourselves for battle. 
and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and our children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites had received their inheritance. I love how these two tribes responded to this rebuke. They said, Moses, you're right. We have not been displaying and we have not really gotten this love of God in our life. In fact, we see it now. God went before us and he fought before us even though he did not need to. In that same way, not only will we join the fight, and I love how they, they say it. They say, even though we have our women and children here and they're safe, and even though there's risk to us of losing and dying in this battle, they said, send us to the front lines. We will be the one that heads up that charge because we are so grateful and thankful for God's love in our life. How can we not do the same in fighting for our fellow brothers and sisters here than what God has done for me? They said, we'll go on the front lines, and not only that, we will never return home until each person has gotten their promise. This is an amazing demonstration of this reflection of loving God with all of their heart. They can't help but love their neighbor as themselves. You know, brothers and sisters, even in the brief time that we've been merged together, I've been so blessed by just hearing stories and hearing conversations and seeing it live in action where people go out of their way to bless others. Whenever I hear that, I get so excited and I say, this is what we're supposed to be. And I love the fact that people are looking at their own lives and no matter how busy they are or all the other complexities that they're going through, their mindset is, how do I build up this brother and sister? How do I participate in helping their life or our community life get better? This is a reflection of what we're called to be. Brothers and sisters, I hope that encounter, we continue to become known as these two markers of a community of God. One that loves God with all of our hearts and we pursue everything possible to love him. And as we do, God gives us a clarity vision of who we are and where he's calling us to go. And as a result of that promise, we can't help but want to fight for one another. To just say, hey, our fellow brother and sister is going through a hard time. We're going to fight, go before them, and try to clear the path to make any obstacle lower so that they can be blessed as I am blessed. Brothers and sisters, don't let our fears or our insecurities our arrogance, our self-righteousness. Don't let that come between you and God. The Reubenites, when they heard that rebuke, the Gadites and the Reubenites, when they heard that rebuke, they returned and they realized, God loves us. How can we not love others? When I saw John go up for that moment of repentance, 
I couldn't help but look and loathe at my self-righteousness. God, how can I make this, these fears that I have, keep me from loving you? Brothers and sisters, I pray that our hearts have the humility to be able to surrender so that you, that we may all receive this unhindered relationship with God that impacts our, our own lives with his love and we can share that love with others. Let's pray. At this time, I want to invite each and every one of us and especially if you're online as well, just use this time and this space and the quietness of where you are to come before God and ask the Holy Spirit, will you reveal to me if there's anything that's blocking me in my relationship with you? Is there anything that's, that I'm holding on to that I, that I may be blinded because I've been so convinced that I'm doing what is right, that I don't recognize that that arrogance actually keeps me from you. For some of us, it may be our fears, whatever fears or anxieties that we have of what we may lose. We need to surrender that. So brothers and sisters, I want to invite us into a time of just quiet repentance to be able to come before God saying, Lord, I want to cast down these burdens. I want to cast down these sins that keep me from you. I want to bring just a spirit of repentance so I can learn how to love you more. Enjoy the fruit of that love.